Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Buck Sanders, Ross Martin, and Greg Barnes. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. Guys, Sunday afternoon, practice. Football practice. We're going to talk about practice, but spring practice to be exact. Mac Brown 2.0 officially underway in Chapel Hill. Your general thoughts on what you saw today? Well, Tommy, I thought it was, um, you know, a high energy practice. There was uh, a good amount of enthusiasm, as you would expect. We, we've seen this rodeo before that when there's a change of regime, there's a new uh, practice uh, regimen that we'll tend to talk about it in terms of the excitement and whatnot. Well, there's typically going to be excitement, I think, when there's a regime change. But th- there was certain things that were very different about this practice. One, it was in the indoor practice facility, which uh, I don't know about Greg and Ross, but I'm used to a practice being spread out really across two practice fields, offense on one side, defense on the other side. And the people that are there, whether they're former lettermen or recruits or whoever, other media people being spread out over a much larger acreage, having it all inside a indoor practice facility uh, made it, even as large as that structure is, and it's huge, it seemed to me to be a more intimate setting, really, uh, than a typical practice would be. The The other thing that I noticed, and we've already talked about this off the air, is the thing that stuck out to me was something that was not there, and that was loud music. There was, there was some music here and there. Uh, they have speakers in, in the indoor facility, but at Larry Fedora's practices, there was a playlist that blared from beginning to end, and it was so loud that even when it was outdoors, you could barely hold a conversation with the person that was standing right next to you, and that was noticeably different today. Uh, the, the other part that... Uh, Ross has mentioned, and uh, Greg may have picked up on too as well. I think he may have said something about it is they actually try to do this in sort of the same period connotations of a game. So when they get to the halfway point, they actually have a mini halftime where they have snacks, they had fruit, they had uh, pretzels, they had other kinds of food available for the players to take a mini break before they went out for the second part of it. Uh, But it was a a very different vibe. I thought uh, because of it, number one, it was indoors and number two, it was a new regime. Ross, your thoughts. Uh, I mean, seven years under one way of doing things, um, new day, new era starting today on Sunday. Um, I do think it's interesting the comparison holding it inside versus outside because it does compact a lot of things. But, Ross, your thoughts in general? Yeah, I mean, it's such a different vibe than having it in Keenan just from a setting standpoint that, that uh, Buck mentioned. Um, Keenan was so ragged at the end of all these practices and the turf, and it just felt so much more, I don't know, corporate and professional and clean inside that new facility. The, the Obviously, the turf was, was perfect. and Everything was so brand spanking new. It just had a very professional uh, vibe to it. And I, I was work, you know, working here on the Sunday night, putting all this content together. You, you realize how big of a deal they've made this first spring practice, which I don't think we had under Larry Fedora. Um, this was a big deal. There were maybe 100 people kind of watching it throughout the course of the time, whether that be media members, former players, family members, um, Rams Club people. So it was a, kind of a big deal. There was um, you know, the head SID was there. The chancellor was there. The marching band came and played. Um, Kendall Marshall was there. There were a lot of just and big time recruits as well. Five star and a four star player we've mentioned in the scoop 
So it was kind of a, a bigger deal than I think many people think, you know, the first spring practice is. So that, that was kind of a broad takeaway. Um, it, the facility is super nice from a, I don't know if Greg might have something to add on this, but I felt it was, the practice was kind of run similar to what I've seen from a Fedora practice in terms of, you know, it's very quick. You're moving from drill to drill. You have those different whistles that indicate the change. You do mix in special teams throughout different offensive and defensive drill work. You have uh, 11 on 11 sections. I recognize some of the drills. Some of the drills were new. So from a uh, bare bones skeleton layout of how kind of practice operates, um, that seemed a little similar. I'm, I'm sure there's tweaks that I didn't p- pick up on. But, of course, it was cool seeing the new coaches work with the players because um, every coach is different. You have different coaching styles. Tim Cross, is the defensive line coach, is very intense. Um, you know, Dre Bly and Jay Bateman work together a lot of times with the uh, defensive backs. And Phil Longo is very involved with the quarterbacks, as he should be. So it was just that it was interesting seeing the the operation of the different uh, coaches. Um, Stacy Searles, the offensive line coach, was uh, a pretty intense guy. Ran a very tight ship down there, and I think the offensive line is going to be very intriguing uh, position group to watch. But um, yeah, major takeaway is a big deal. It felt big. Um, Mac Brown took a very much a CEO role, role, not very hands-on at all. And that's not what you expect from a head coach. He's very CEO, occasionally speaking um, over the loudspeakers, but kind of standing in the middle, taking a look at each different position group. But he was very hands-off from that respect um, and, and here and there organizing things and watching things and commenting on things. And that's kind of where my, my general takeaways uh, end. Greg, your thoughts on, and Ross hit on it there, how Mac Brown did things and maybe a comparison to, you know, past coaching staffs you've seen. I always thought that Brown would come in and, again, like Ross said, be the CEO type, get hands-on when necessary, um, but let his guys, let the guys he's hired do the work. And also um, how Bateman sort of, oversaw Dre Blyer, worked with Dre Bly. I thought that was an interesting dynamic mentioned in the scoop because, uh, you know, a lot of people said Bly is definitely going to be a, a high-level recruiter, can be a high-level recruiter, but maybe wondered about how, you know, his transition to college coaching would would go. It's interesting that Bateman's working with him, and I know it's just day one, but Greg, your thoughts on those things? Yeah, well, I would say that, that Bateman was hands-on with the entirety of the defense. I mean, that is his baby. And yeah, there was a couple of drills early when he was working with the defensive backs uh, and, and Dre Bly was kind of there watching, watching him as well as the players and kind of learning and soaking in. And that's the unique dynamic with Bly because I mean, he's an all pro, right? He's a Super Bowl champion. He's an all American. He knows how to play the positions. That's, that's not the question. Uh, he's, he's a sharp guy. He's going to be a great recruiter. But he still has to learn you know, some of the specifics, and I'm sure that'll come easy for him. It's still a learning process, and he's got to learn what Bateman wants. And so that was one of the, the neat things is watching how Bateman's really trying to get everybody, all the position coach, uh, position group coaches, to kind of do what, what he wants them to do. And I noticed that on the, the offensive side, too, when the quarterbacks and the running backs were working on a, a screen passes during one of the plays, uh, Phil Longo stopped the play real quick and ran over to Gillespie, Robert Gillespie, the running backs coach, and and motioned to him about some kind of you know, technique that he wanted there on the sideline. And so just saying, hey, you know, maybe we do it just like this instead of going this way, maybe it turns this way out. And so it's just little preferences that the coordinators want, and that's that's what these practices are for. I mean, yes, you've got to get the players to understand what you want from them, but it's also these coaches that haven't worked together before. They've got to exactly figure out how to do those kind of things. So that, that was really a unique dynamic. I don't have a lot to add to what Buck and, and Ross said. I mean, yes, it was it was more of a big deal, I think, off the field than it was on the field. Um, you All these coaches these days, they travel around the country during the offseason. Uh, they, they, they look and pick and copycat all kinds of, of practice uh, processes. And so 
I'm not going to sit here and say that what UNC showed today was anything much different than what Larry Fedora did or even what Mac Brown or Butch Davis did. If anything, I think you know, Butch Davis and Mac Brown kind of have the, the similar approach of just kind of walking around and, and watching. Uh, whereas Larry Fedora, especially with special teams, a little bit more hands-on, and he would get into it you know, with the offensive guys a little bit more. Uh, but very similar. And one thing I will add this, Buck's right with the music. Uh, but the other aspect, too, is that the last two years, North Carolina has practiced at Keenan, and we have not been allowed on the field during practice. So you're in the stands watching, and you've got the music blaring. So you can't hear any conversations with the coaches and players. So you don't get to understand kind of what's going on. You don't get to you know, see uh, the, the back and forth. You don't get to hear what the, the coaches were saying, which I think is a good way to learn what they like. And that was what was so great for me is – uh, you know, when we used to be at Navy Fields, even with the music playing during Fedora's, I guess it was first six or seven years, uh, the music was up high, if that makes sense. And so you could actually hear the interactions. And so I enjoyed that more than anything today, being able to walk around and, and listen to what Galloway had to say about technique and, and listen to, uh, like Ross said, you know, Tim Cross had some, some great lines uh, and listen to him talk to his, his defensive lineman, what he wants, you know, how he wants the, uh, the hips, the swing, the bat, hit the home run, not not the arms, and so a lot of those things were neat, and that was that was enjoyable to get to see after a couple of years without that aspect. I think you could tell it's going to be very media friendly. These practices that we get to go to, I mean, we were just right, like Greg said, right there with the drills. There weren't many limitations to where we could go. I, I was no one told us no to anything as we kind of made our way around the field. We get right there next to the different the sleds and the different drill work. Um, and I think it's just speaking with, you know, different sports information people on staff and, and working with the coaches to be very media friendly. They want us to promote the program. They want us to have access. And there's just a mutual trust there that you're starting to see. It's going to be very different uh, covering this team as it was under uh, Lawrence Fedora. I wanted to follow up on what Greg had to say when he was talking about Phil Longo going over and talking to Gillespie about a particular drill. Same thing happened with Longo and Tim Brewster. Tim Brewster was doing a drill with his tight ends. Basically, from what I took away from the drill he was doing, it was about handwork. Um, So at a certain point when uh, it was actually halftime, the little halftime they had, Longo got together with Brewster and asked Brewster to explain to him what he was trying to get across with a drill and what he was trying to explain. And actually Brewster was showing Longo, uh, the using his hands on Longo's body, what he was actually trying to teach his, uh, tight end group. So there is a, there is some, learning going on, not just by the players, but among the coaches, uh, getting to know each other and, and exactly what each of them is trying to communicate to their position group and how that fits into the, you know, the overall scheme of the offense or the defense as it might apply. Buck, sticking with you, uh, what, you know, and I already said it's a no pads, um, shorts practice, but what stood out for you the most um, beyond digging a little deeper um, in this first practice? And just to clarify to folks, the media won't have access to every practice, a very few. Uh, this was certainly a start to finish one. But, you know, what did you see, Buck, that maybe surprised you? Not organizational, um, you know, not that way, player or coach-wise, I mean. Well, Tommy – for me, the thing that I thought people on the Tar Pit Premium, our premium message board for Inside Carolina subscribers, would probably want to know more about the most would be the quarterback position. So I, I concentrated on watching the quarterback position today a lot and have each drill sort of trying to pay attention to what they were doing. And this kind of brings together two facets of it with the new indoor practice facility 
everything is laid out and marked perfectly. You know, the hashes, the numbers, the sidelines, everything is crystal clear. And so for me, it was interesting when they were going through the quarterback drills and, and doing the quarterbacks working with the running backs, with the tight ends, with the wide receivers, how they were testing the quarterback group in terms of their ability to make every throw, lining up on one hash and throwing to the running back on the far side of the field. They would like throw into the numbers on the short side of the field. They were throwing the ball to the sideline. And and the same with each position group with the tight ends throwing on the seam from a certain hash uh, with the wide receivers, throwing certain passes, uh, in routes, out routes, based on where they were on the hashes and where the route was supposed to break at. It was so much easier to see on the field. Greg and I actually had a pretty long conversation about this at practice. And it was just apparent to me that with all three quarterbacks, they were getting a feel for who can make all the throws that we need to make in this offense and make them the most consistently. And I thought that they did a great job in terms of rotating the quarterbacks with the first team in different drills. Uh, They're what didn't seem to be in a real established pecking order. And as, as other people have said, I didn't really see a lot. In fact, Mac Brown said this in his uh, post-game press conference, which is up on Inside Carolina. He didn't really see a lot of separation between the three quarterbacks. I didn't either. I, I think all of them do really good things, and uh, you know there are some physical differences, but for the most part, I thought all three quarterbacks did a pretty good job. Um, you know, all of them are capable of making really good throws. All of them are capable of making a bad throw from time to time. And that probably applies across the board throughout college football. But the, the way that the field was so clearly marked out and laid out was really a benefit to me, uh, over and above past practices I've seen in terms of trying to figure out exactly what they were trying to accomplish with each quarterback drill. All right, that's the stuff the listeners want to hear. They also need to hear this. JohnnyTShirt.com is the sponsor of this podcast. JohnnyTShirt.com is the best place online to get Carolina gear, the best place on Franklin Street to get Carolina gear because it's locally owned and operated, alumni owned and operated, and it's all Carolina. Any UNC stuff you see, you see Mac Brown wearing um, a nice vest or, or some – sweats or whatever you want to go you go get it from johnny t-shirt same with the players gear if it's available johnny t-shirt will have it visit the store on game days visit the store online johnny t-shirt.com remember if you're an inside carolina subscriber you get 10 percent off online and in store with that code so go to johnny t-shirt.com for all your carolina swag all your carolina gear I see subscribers get the bonus 10% off online and in store. Ross, I want to come with you and let's talk a little bit about player specific stuff you saw. Um, like I asked Buck, what surprised you maybe? Well, if it's the quarterbacks, we can talk about that. Obviously, everybody's going to be talking about the quarterbacks forever. Um, but pick a position and tell me something that surprised you. Yeah, I'll go all offensive line. I always like looking at the offensive line. Um, I think it's interesting to note that Charlie Heck has moved to left tackle, obviously the, the premier kind of spot for your, your best tackle on the offensive line with William Sweet going to the uh, entering the NFL draft. He's at the combine this weekend. Um, that's the move that Charlie Heck, the most experienced and obviously one of the main leaders on the group, will take. Nick Polino was at center on uh, Sunday, but that might have been because J.J. McCargo, uh, who started a lot of games at center last year, had a um, – a big club on his right hand. So he was unable to snap. So you have JJ McCargo at guard, William Barnes at guard and Jordan Tucker, a player that uh, Brian Chacos uh, highlighted in a previous podcast as a player to watch taking over the, the right guard competition, right guard spot. Sorry. Um, 
So you have a lot of experience there with Polino. Barnes played a lot last year. J.J. McCarty played a lot last year. And heck, and Jordan Tucker's that one new player. You also have Billy Ross backing it up. And I like the depth a lot for this group. Um, Joseph Zudu was a player we heard a lot last year. Marcus McKeithen was back healthy. So there's a lot of bodies, a lot of big bodies. Um, you've got to like the experience of a lot of guys there and the guys that play together. And, and working with a very experienced offensive line coach, so of course, there'll be a learning curve there. But it, it sometimes is a good thing to hear new ideas, hear new ways, new techniques, new drill work, um, and have a different voice can, can make a change, especially for, I think, a group at times that was worn down throughout the, the Fedora era um, and, and suffered a lot of injuries at times as well. So uh, interesting changes there and not too much competition, it, it looks like. It looks like a lot of those places we have guys who started multiple seasons. So who knows um, how much that would change over the course of spring and into um, – fall camp greg looking at offensive line and having a new system i mean how much i don't know if it's even correct way to put it but does the offensive line and what coaches are looking for in uh, an air raid type offense does that change much in what carolina's had in the past i mean I, i can't imagine there's too much difference there is stacy searles looking for something different than maybe um that Carolina coaches in the past have looked for when he's building his offensive line. Well, I asked Charlie Heck that question after practice, and he said, he said no. He said you know, you're looking at a lot of the same, uh, a lot of the same zone concepts. Uh, there's some more than anything is is the communication aspect of it, uh, the terminology, and making sure everybody's on the same page. But I think that's kind of an important part is that while this is a different system. This is still within that spread concept. And when you factor in that this is going to be an air raid with the addition of a power run game, you're not too far away from necessarily what Larry Fedora was doing. And you know, we'll, we'll get into the, the differences over the course of the offseason for sure. Jason Staples has already started to do that a little bit. But we're not talking about grand uh, changes here. This is not going from a pro style to, a, to an air raid, which would be night and day. Uh, and so you know, I asked Michael Carter uh, about some of the changes, and he made the point that, uh, you know, we, we want to go fast, and the coaches are imploring us to go fast, and we're kind of like, you know, we went fast the last couple years. You know, it's not a big deal. It's what we did under Fedora. And I, th- I found it interesting that Longo's uh, offensive motto is don't blink, right? Very similar to what we've heard before. So they want to go fast. They want to utilize a lot of uh, screen passes, a lot of wheel routes, a lot of quick passing game. Uh, and so it's it's that type of thing. And so you're really just kind of, I don't want to say semantics, it's, it's a little bit more involved in that, but there's not that big of a difference in, in kind of the schemes. And to what Buck was mentioning earlier, with some of the throws we saw the quarterbacks uh, making, there's a lot of deep balls. And you know, maybe when Seth Luttrell was here back in 14-15, we saw some of those deep passes uh, for, from Marquise especially, and then we saw a little bit with Mitch in 16. Uh, but for the most part, we haven't seen that type of vertical passing game. And so that'll be interesting because all three of those kids can, can throw the long ball. And so I, I, there, there's a lot of uh, unique aspects to the air raid. And that's going to be really fun for us to get into. But I think fans need to uh, need to know that it's not going to be some dramatic shift. I think that's the main takeaway. And in talking with some of the offensive players uh, after practice, uh, they, they pretty much share that sentiment. Buck, you made a point of talking about the loaded running back core in your scoop on the Tar Pit Premium message boards. I mean, that's one place that Carolina has had no issue recruiting is the skill positions on offense. And now with the three quarterbacks to pair with the running group, Michael Carter leading the way, your thoughts on what you saw day one. I mean, those guys have put in work all offseason, and now it's time to see what they can do. Yeah, Tommy, it, it's really interesting, really, if you think about it. And Michael Carter touched on this. He also has a video up, and Greg touched on it a little bit with his comments. But this running back group is really extremely good. I I, I don't know how else to say it. Michael Carter is just looks cat quick. Everything you know about Michael Carter 
ratcheted up about, you know, at least 0.2 or so, maybe 0.3. And that's him from what we saw today. And, and the other guy, now Antonio Williams is another great back. Jordan Brown has got his talents as well. But one of the guys that really impressed me today was Javante Williams. And he, he's just, to me, he's has a, the total package. He's big enough and strong enough to get short yardage, yet he's got some moves and some quickness, um, you know, from the running back position as well. So you've got four guys you can go to there that are capable of, of doing very well in a running game. And, and if they get a good push from their offensive line in 2019, all those things that, that Greg talked about in terms of the air raid, that's there, that that's something that they can go to. But they also have a ton of options in the run game. And to piece it together with what Ross was talking about, on, the, on that right side of the line, you've got Jordan Tucker, who weighs 340, and you've got William Barnes that weighs 330. If they can't get a little push off the right side of that line when they want it, it's not going to be because they don't have guys that are big enough and strong enough to do it. So. It's going to be very interesting to see how they integrate the power running game. And today I saw watching the offensive line, they do like to pull the left guard in particular into the hole, into the gap on the right side. Well, that's very typical of a power running game, and they got the guys to do it with. So it, it'll be very curious to see how that comes together. But before I finish, one final caveat, this was a no-contact practice, no pads. So it's very difficult to get a feel for you know what that might look like in a real game where people are actually trying to hurt you um, or stop you at least. But uh, they have a ton of options in a running game. They have some people that can uh, theoretically, at least on paper, make that a very powerful part of their offense. So it'll be very interesting to see how – Longo puts that all together. Greg, looking at the wide receiver position, these are the guys that have to be jacked for Longo in his style coming in. I mean, they're going to need six, eight, ten wide receivers that can produce. Um, Your initial thoughts the first day, and and like Buck said to the people listening to this, this is a no-contact, no-pad podcast because, you know, we're we're doing a lot of speculating on what we saw what Greg Ross and Buck saw today, and certainly over the course of the next couple of weeks, month or so, we'll dig deeper into that. And then all off season, we'll break it down even further with Staples and those guys. But Greg, your thoughts on the wide receiver position for Carolina. I think this is one that maybe somebody that didn't do much last year could really be a big factor this year. Yeah, for sure. And I think when you have some some speed threats like North Carolina has, uh, like a De'Ami Brown, for example, and Bo Corrales is another guy, uh, Roscoe Johnson, right? I mean, there's a lot of guys we can name, but why haven't we seen them explode the last year or so? Well, North Carolina didn't have a, a quarterback that could really push the ball down the field, consistently anyway. Um, and so you're kind of limited if, you're, if your strength is your speed. and it's very difficult for you to get a, a deep pass. Well, you're not going to be a showcase your, your talents. And I think that's one of the, the things that's so interesting uh, with Longo's uh, ideas for what he wants this, this offense to be along with having some young guys who can, can fling the ball. Um, that's going to open up a lot of these talented young guys to really kind of shine. And I think Brown's a good example. And I think uh, Antoine green, once he gets fully healthy, He's going to be a guy. I mean, Bo Corrales, we saw at times last year, he's fast, he's big, he can jump. I mean, that guy has has threat written all over him. Um, and then it, that's not even mentioning guys like, you know, Daz Newsom and, and Toe Groves who have plenty of speed, uh, probably more so in the in the slot type category. Uh, and that's before we even start talking about the tight ends. And there's a, there's a lot of good tight ends now that Brandon Fritz is back. So uh, I, I think there there is a lot of unique – uh, capabilities. And we talked about that last year, right? We knew North Carolina at the skill positions uh, were set. That wasn't the issue was who's going to get them the ball. And I think it speaks volumes that, 
you know, the, the two quarterbacks that we talked about last year, well, one's leaving to go to Arkansas State to be a, a GA, and the other one's playing linebacker right now. And that's not a knock on those guys by any stretch, but it just kind of speaks to kind of where things had gotten under Larry Fedora. And so now uh, you're in a situation where you've got to rely on young guys. I mean, yes, Fortin played some last year. Yes, Ruder got a couple series in, but they're still technically freshmen. They're young guys haven't played really much of, of all at all. And then, of course, Sam Howell's fresh out of high school. So a lot of potential. I agree with, agree with Buck that uh, these guys are going to open up a lot of things for the skill position players. And I think North Carolina for sure is in good hands, but there will be a learning curve. Uh, they, they've got to understand how to play in the system. They have to understand how to play at the college level. A lot of different things that go into that. And so it may be a little choppy at first, uh, but, I, but I think the, the system, I think the quarterbacks really open up the, the possibilities for, for this group of wide receivers. Yeah, the quarterbacks, all three of them, they're, they're basically starting from scratch. Even though Fortin and Ruder have some experience, they'll have um, opportunities to – or equal opportunities to get on the field come August, September under a new staff. It, that'll be the biggest thing folks will watch. But, Ross, I think the biggest thing that folks need to pay attention to is the defensive line. You mentioned Aaron Crawford being fully healthy and full go in drills. If there's one guy on the defense that Carolina's got to have under Bateman's style of defense, it's got to be Crawford. Yeah, to kind of plug up the middle there, and he looked good. He was leading the drills. Uh, he looked healthy. He looked in good spirits. I mean, he is a player that I think the team he, – he's a, he's a big-time leader, and I think the defense, defensive line, and the team really look to for – he's just a good, solid dude for motivation, for for leadership. So having him back was great to see. You want him to, you know, play this year, and, and and he just missed the whole season last year with health issues, so he's back. But I was looking at the defensive tackles doing some some specific drills, and they only had six guys, and um, <clears throat> one was Avery Jones who moved over. This is his first real practice at defensive line as he as he, they try to figure out if he's better there. They need him there more than the offensive line. He came in as a offensive guard, so they're very thin right now in the spring at defensive line. Um, so it does give guys more reps who need them. A guy like Jaleel Taylor, who, who has the same kind of body shape as Aaron Crawford, about 6'1", um, you know, over, over 3'10", 315. They were without Jason Strobridge, without Alan Cater, and without Tyron Hopper. So I think Cater and Strobridge are two guys who could definitely will, – will definitely – I think Strobridge will definitely start. He's one of the UNC's best defensive linemen. And Cater, definitely an important um, backup and reserve player who will certainly play a lot. So those guys were not there. They were milling around. And, and once they finished their whatever they did, the first part of practice, they came in and were kind of with the group. So it was kind of hard to tell how seriously they are injured. But it's a thin group um, right now. And I, but I think it can be a strength if, if Crawford stays healthy and Strobridge, Strobridge pays up to his potential. Tamon Fox was, was leading the defensive ends. And we saw four, uh, a front four, even though we know that Bateman likes to use uh, a versatile, flexible front that could be at three at times with a three, four, and, and mix and be multiple, as Mac Brown likes to call it. So I think it'd be a good group. Even they lost a lot. I think there's uh, some younger players that can come up. Chris Collins was, was running with the ones, um, and they're getting back some really good defensive tackles. And I think um, they, can, they can be a solid group this season that I'm excited to watch. Buck, I think when I've heard and I've listened to Jay Bateman talk and I've heard people talk about um, what he was able to do at Army, I think a lot of folks, a lot of Carolina fans are assuming that uh, he'll have more talent at Carolina. Thus, his defenses will be um, as effective as his defenses were at Army. You know, it's a different scale, but um, and a different level of competition, but is that an accurate way to look at it, or is that a situation where maybe folks are getting their hopes up a little bit more so than they should, especially given what Ross talked about, the the lack of depth on the defensive line? Granted, it is spring and people are being held out, but Bateman's got his hands full molding this defense, I think, don't you, Buck? Yeah, and that's sort of a double-edged sword, really, Tommy. At Army... The offense they ran there 
was such a ball control offense. One stat that you can throw out there is that Army was exceptional on third down. They got off the field on third down time and time again. I think they either led the NCAA in third down uh, conversion percentage or they were in the top 10. They were just extremely good on third down. The issue there is that the offense that Army ran, Bateman's defense faced the fewest third downs of any FBS team. And at North Carolina, they're not going to run Army's offense. They're going to run Longo's offense. And that offense is going to result in opposing defenses having more possessions, more opportunities on third down than Bateman's used to, and which is going to result in the need for more depth than Bateman had at Army or used at Army. Bateman, I think, said at some point that as far as as his starters go and his reserves go, there were some occasions where even for defensive linemen, the backups might only play five or six snaps at North Carolina. He's going to need his backups on the defensive line to play 15 or 20 snaps or more. So it's going to be a different ball game for Bateman at North Carolina. There's going to be more need for depth, more need to build depth, more need to use depth. So, um, it's going to be interesting to to uh, follow how that plays out for Bateman, and 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 Greg, I think you probably have some thoughts on that as well. Yeah, I think I think the challenge when you, when you look at some of the talent issues on the defensive side of the ball, especially in the front seven, um, I think he's going to have to get them up to speed with what he wants to do. And I found it very interesting on Friday. Uh, Mac Brown was talking about the fact that you know one of the reasons he brought in Bateman, one of the reasons he brought in Longo, was that at their previous stops, uh, Bateman, of course, at Army, and he was actually referring to when Longo was at Sam Houston State, not Mississippi, uh, but that they did not have the talent that their a lot of their opponents had, so they really had to coach him up, and he liked that component of it, uh, and I think that kind of speaks volumes to where UNC is right now. Uh, I think North Carolina probably has plenty of talent offensively, although we, we know it's young at quarterback. Defensively is a different story. Um, and I think when you when you factor in that you know Bateman has not coached at the power five level, Longo's only got two years, um, that's going to be a, a difficult uh, transition. Now, I think Bateman's sharp and he's got the pedigree and all those kind of things. Uh, but I I think to expect really either Longo or Bateman to hit the ground running uh, may be a tough ask, and I think it may take Bateman a little bit of time, but it's going to be a chess match for sure because he's going to have to figure out you know, that at the Power 5 level, he doesn't have a talent advantage that he eventually will have. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, so what does he do in the meantime? And I, that's the dynamic that's going to be interesting to watch. Clearly, he is a sharp guy, no question about that. Clearly, he's been able to coach up Army in recent years. But how quickly can he make that adjustment? And how quickly can he coach these guys up before the the cavalry arrives in terms of those those future recruiting classes? Greg, we've talked about defensive line. Let's look at the back half, and and I think you know, is it a big deal that John Smith's not out there for spring? Uh, you know, I don't. Guys have missed spring practice before and done all right in the fall, but. I think with a new staff, doesn't that sort of put him behind at a position that Carolina really needs uh, somebody to step up? And I think we're likely to see a very young linebacking core at, at points next season. Yeah, for sure. And I think I think if you have a lot of depth, then losing a guy to the, for the spring is not that big of a deal. But North Carolina is not in that situation. I mean, working with the – uh, the blue team, which these are not, you know, Mac, let me say this, Mac has stressed that they're not having a depth chart. This is just different groups of players are trying to figure out who's going to get reps, those kind of things. 
but working with the blue team, uh, you had Dom Ross, who's returning starter, but then you also had Matthew Flint. And Flint was the guy last year who uh, Papuchas has said that one of the reasons he didn't play a lot is because uh, while he had some flashes in training camp, it, it kind of took him a while to kind of work up into what they wanted to do defensively. And so he's a, he's a very young guy, uh, kind of learning the ropes. He's having to learn a new system now. And then with the second group, you had Chas Ratt, who last time he played linebacker uh, was high school. And Don Callahan uh, told me that when Surratt was put in at linebacker, it was basically on passing downs. And they would say, Chaz, uh, go rush the passer, try tackling. And that was pretty much what he did. And so when you talk about you know, two of your, your maybe top four guys there currently, and then you add in Jeremiah Gilmo, who's alongside Surratt. Those are guys who haven't played much at all, or in Chaz's case, none. And so, yeah, I mean, you need Jonathan Smith. So I think it does put him behind a little bit, but I'm not sure that these other guys are going to learn so much in this short window in spring that Smith can't overcome that, provided he comes back in good standing in the fall. Uh, but while defensive line is a concern because there's not a lot of depth there. Linebacker is certainly a concern. And so I think that the front seven, while there's a lot of good things to talk about uh, on the offensive side of the ball, and I think there's some good things to talk about uh, on the back end uh, defensively, I think that front seven is a legitimate concern. Ross, you mentioned Brian Chaco said saying about Jordan Tucker. He also said, if my memory serves correctly, that KJ Sales, he thought would be a guy that stepped up. Your thoughts on the defensive backs I mean they showed some flash but they had major holes last year how do you see that shaping up especially with a with Bly back there coaching them I mean do do we see any notable differences in the way that group approaches things well one thing you can't take much from this one practice but one thing I'll say is they have a stud in uh in Trey Morrison and he had interception early in the 11-11 drill work, 11-11 offense versus defense. And it seems that um, him alongside Patrice Rene could be the the two corners, and then K.J. Sales can play in there when needed. Um, I remember I read Taylor Vipolis' thing about the less of a a dime package uh, within this defense, or less of a nickel package within this defense. Um, Safeties, they lose J.K. Britt. Um, and the two guys you might expect to start, Miles Dorn and Miles Wolfolk, uh, are out with non-contact red jerseys. So you look to a guy like um, DJ Ford, among others. But there's there's some young bodies in there. They have some true freshmen who could see some time, Storm Duck, among other players. But uh, there's some holes to replace. But I think a guy like Miles Dorn and, and Patrice Rene, who are two big-bodied guys, and, and seeing what Trey Morrison did, I think he had the third most defensive snaps last year um there's definitely some pieces and some nice pieces that um Bly and Bateman will be able to mold um and they're all learning the same the, the new defense and all on the same page here so maybe there'll be some guys who got overlooked by the last staff be able to emerge there Greg Ross um was one guy I'm just kind of looking through the roster here to now in basketball mode I'm here I'm talking about defensive backs I have to completely switch my train of thought but uh I like what they have veteran-wise and, and, and some really talented pieces that are proven. Buck, let's start wrapping this one up. And again, to our listeners, check out johnnytshirt.com, especially your subscribers. You get that 10% off. And to our listeners also, there's a ton of content all across Inside Carolina from videos to scoops to threads, all of that. Um, you know, if this podcast doesn't, get you what you need to know. There's plenty more out there on Inside Carolina. Just a ton of stuff from Greg, Ross, and Buck, and from our interns at Inside Carolina. But, Buck, your your thoughts in closing. Um, pretty uh, pretty exciting time in March for Carolina football. I, I did not think it would be possible about six months ago or less that uh, we'd be talking this excitedly about Carolina football. Yeah, Tommy, I, I, I agree with you. There's clearly a level of excitement and enthusiasm around UNC football. At the same time, I, I would sort of, because I've fallen victim to myself to this more than once, is that when you start observing 
spring practice and you get excited about this or that or the other, keep in mind that's happening across America. Uh, everybody, every college team right now is zero O and O, uh, on the win loss record. And a lot of people are, are going to get very, very excited about their team during spring. Um, you know, the old country expression is they're, they're going to do wonders and eat cucumbers. But as we go through this, I think we need to understand that, uh, a great level of optimistic expectation probably for the 2019 team is for them to make a bowl. And as excited as we might be about seeing spring practice kick off, the indoor practice facility, Mac 2.0, seeing this guy or that guy excel on the field, well, I think we need to keep in mind that you know, this, this team has a way to go. They, you know, However you want to account for it, they've won five games in the last two years. And so I, I even though it's uh, cuts against the grain for Mr. Half Full, as opposed to Tommy Ashley, Mr. Half Empty, um, you know, I, I sort of feel compelled to ask people to have a reasonable level of expectation, of expectation in, in 2019. We're going to see some good things. We're going to see some things to be excited about. You know, we're going to see some good football on the field. We're going to, uh, you know, see some things schematically and personnel wise that are going to, you know, set the table for, uh, 2020, 2021 recruiting is right now off the charts. So there's that to look forward to but as far as 2019, I think Greg's point. Uh, earlier that, you know, in terms of uh, Phil Longo's offense, Jay Bateman's defense, it may not, they, they're not going to hit their stride in 2019. Uh, they're not going to be at peak efficiency in 2019. So, um, you know, that, that's what, that would be my open, opening takeaway from the first no pads practice at UNC. Ross, you're up general takeaways and overall closing thoughts on day one of Mac Brown 2.0. You know, I think it was, it was pretty cool. We mentioned this a little off the air. Mentioned a little bit, you know, the coaches talking to him and, and I mean, that's a big time guy, in-state guy that kind of wraps up the theme of Mac Brown going after the top guys in state. And and that's a a good step to have him there and, and witnessing, the staff talking to him and, and that kind of, you know, adds a little hype and touch to the beginning of spring practice. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, yeah, seeing the new staff work was really interesting and I'm really excited to see how Phil Longo's offense, and Jay Bateman's defense work and how they put in the pieces and who steps up and all those things. And, and what we'll plenty of time to work all that through in the spring and into fall practice. But uh, like Buck said, there's definitely a buzz. Um, just the fact that, you know, we're talking about it right now on a Sunday in March and, um, you know, people are really engaged and excited and commenting on the message boards about a lot of with this program, which kind of shows you, um, the expectations, the optimism that surround this, this new regime. And it's, it's refreshing and it's interesting to follow. And so, uh, that's it for me. Yep, you glitched a little bit. You're talking about Desmond Evans from Lee County Senior High. Certainly, if you're on the Inside Carolina message board, you can check out that interaction and that discussion about big-time 2020 recruit there today. Greg, I'll let you close it, uh, my man. I know, if for no other reason, you're excited to be able to dig down into the nuts and bolts of the schemes and all that stuff, and certainly day one, brings the start of that for you yeah for sure and you know, buck has has preached for more than a decade of unc being a school that needs to be a little bit different how they uh, do things schematically and while mac brown comes in with pedigree comes in with a national championship clearly is one of the best coaches in the country he has that resume he also understands 
that for North Carolina to be able to compete consistently at an elite level, you've got to be willing to take some chances. You've got to be willing to, uh, to move forward and, and progress in terms of your schemes. And we're going to see that with Bateman and Longo. And so just to kind of get an idea of you know, how particular they are. And I think we saw that on the first day. I mean, that was my main takeaway is while Mac Brown's got the CEO thing going on, which is to be expected, Bateman's very particular. Um, Longo is, is very particular. I sat for five minutes and watched him go through slow motion reps with his quarterbacks for a wheel route, for a vertical route, for uh, you know, um, all these different kinds of little things that he wants to do. And they would have to step back you know, and step to the left at a certain degree. And they'd have to fake the handoff in this way. Very specific things. And it's neat to see. I mean, he's, he's very much building from the ground up. Uh, and so that's going to be exciting to watch. And that's kind of my main takeaway. The other thing I'd add is, and this is a little bit of reporting, is in, in talking with, with somebody who had a role in uh, getting the, the indoor practice facility going, uh, that is an elite facility. It's arguably right now the nicest indoor facility in the country. Now, there may be another one next year that's nicer somewhere else, but it is top-notch. And because we have had so much rain in these parts over the last six months, uh, they've really had a hard time uh, getting the, the outdoor part of the complex ready. I mean, they've had blowers out there. They've had a lot of different things so they can get the grass down and, and get the sand pit in play and all these kind of things. And they've just been fighting uh, you know, Mother Nature. And that's a very difficult thing. And so you know, they're hoping to get that finalized uh, in, the, in the next couple of weeks, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to depend on how the weather plays out. But regardless, by summertime, It'll be ready to go. And so when you start looking at that entire complex, it's going to be state-of-the-art. Not only is it a great recruiting tool, uh, but it is a facility that they can use all the time. They don't have to beat up Keenan Stadium anymore. And that will really help the program. That really allows you to stand out. Uh, and so I think when you, when you factor in, they've got all these unique components with the coaching staff. They've got Mac Brown back. Everybody around the program is excited. They've got these facilities uh, that are really going to pay dividends. So everything is is set to move forward. But like Buck says, I think if you're expecting this to be uh, a rocket launch from day one, uh, that may be aiming a bit too high. But the groundwork is being set. And so we start on Sunday. It'll be fascinating to see where we are when training camp starts in August. And then by the time we're having this conversation next year, I have a pretty good feeling that the expectations will ratchet up quite a bit. Good way to end it. Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by johnnytshirt.com, Ross, Greg, and Buck Sanders. As always, guys, thanks for joining me. Appreciate it, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy, and thanks, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime, guys, anytime. (laughs) Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by johnnytshirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.